If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of St. Matthew. Excuse me, St. Mark. (laughs) Oh, there's four, but one out of four ain't bad, right? (laughs) Let's hope this isn't a sign of things to come. Hear now the word of God from Matthew, excuse me, Mark. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. This is God's word. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Please pray with me. Almighty God, we turn to your word because it is truth. Your word is powerful to save. It does not return void. We ask, Lord, that you would purify the mouth of your servant, open the ears of your saints. Oh, God, give us hearts to believe. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. In this passage, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, God reveals to us that Jesus Christ is pleased to receive and bless the children of believers. Jesus Christ is pleased to receive and bless the children of believers. The story unfolds in three basic parts. There is first of all a request in the first part of verse 13. This is followed by a rebuke in the rest of verse 13. And then Jesus responds to it all in verses 14 through 16. So there's a request, a rebuke, and a response. Let's look first at the request. Jesus had been ministering in Capernaum in the region of Galilee back in chapter 9 of Mark's gospel. And at the beginning of chapter 10, Mark tells us that Jesus left there and came into the region of Judea on the other side of the Jordan. When he came there, multitudes gathered around him and he taught them. The Pharisees who seemed to always be lurking in the corners, came and tested Jesus by asking him a question about divorce. This led to Jesus' teaching on the topic of marriage and divorce. And then Jesus went into a private home and expanded on this topic of divorce with his disciples even more. Verse 13 then of chapter 10 tells us, they brought little children to him, that is Jesus, that he might touch them. They, here, refers to Jews in the region of Judea on the other side of Jordan. These were followers of Jesus. These were those of the multitudes who had gathered to hear him teach. In chapter 10, verse 1, it says this, They gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. These are repeat customers. 
These are people who had heard Jesus' teaching before, and they came back to hear him again. It appears that they, in verse 13, were the parents or guardians of some sort of little children, for they brought, Mark tells us, little children to him. This verb, brought, means to, be, to carry, to present, to offer, like you would bring an offering before the altar. We learn from Luke's account of this same story that the little children included infants, which would explain why they were carried. Now, Mark says that they brought these little children to Jesus that he might touch them. These children were not sick. They were not demon-possessed. They were not dead. These parents were not seeking physical healings or an exorcism or a resurrection. They sought from Christ a spiritual blessing for their children. This is certainly a demonstration of their faith. Faith in God's goodness, not only to them, but also to their children. As believing Jews, as those who had been taught by Jesus, they were familiar with the promises of God. For example, in Genesis 17, chapter 7, the Lord said, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your descendants after you. They would have been familiar with Isaiah. And in chapter 44, verse 3, Isaiah said, The Lord says, I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. And so they brought forward their children to receive this blessing. Now, not only did these parents believe the promises of God, but they believed that in some way their access to those promises from God came through Jesus Christ. And therefore, they brought their children to him. Their faith was like that of the woman with the issue of blood. You read about her in Mark chapter 5. And she said, if only I may touch his garment, I will be healed except that their belief in Jesus was not only for themselves, but also for their children. So that's the request. You have these believing parents who bring their children to Jesus, asking him to touch them, no doubt by faith, expecting some kind of spiritual blessing. In the second half of verse 13, we find this rebuke. It's not a rebuke from Christ but a rebuke from his disciples. Mark does not tell us specifically what it was that the disciples said or specifically why they rebuked the parents. He simply tells us, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Now, in one sense, we can sympathize with the disciples. Jesus was in the middle of teaching He's teaching the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He's talking about adult things. And Christ's time was very precious. In his incarnation, even the Son of God was limited by time and space. He could only be in one place at one time and only do one thing at a time. 
In order to give his attention to some people, he necessarily had to not give his attention to some others. He could be interrupted. Everywhere that Jesus went, crowds clamored for his attention. Jesus, we're out of wine. Jesus, we're hungry. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus, tell my sister to help me with the housework. The disciples had a sense of the importance of Christ's mission. They prioritized his teaching and at times tried to protect his time. And they saw the bringing of these little children in the midst of this teaching as a distraction likely to interrupt Jesus and disrupt him from his mission. Besides, what interest do little children have in such things? They can't understand what's going on. They cannot yet exercise faith, nor can they obey Christ's commands. In fact, they might even be a distraction or a nuisance to the adults who are trying to pay attention to the teaching of the Word of God. Moreover, the last thing that everyone needs are these superstitious parents seeking some superfluous blessing for their rugrats, as if Jesus were some vending machine handing out blessings willy-nilly to anyone who happened to be touched by him. Such was the thinking of the disciples. I praise God for these disciples because like them, I do stupid things. And like them, I am loved by God in spite of that. And the disciples oftentimes are presented as a foil Christ's dealing with them and his correction of them allows us to see the errors of our ways. And we don't despair because in spite of the mistake of the disciples, Jesus bore with them. And so the disciples rebuke the parents. And that's something I want to point out at, at this point is there are many applications from this passage for parents, but principally... The application in this passage was to the disciples, not to the parents. That is something for us to be mindful of. Who would be the disciples in our age? Well, the disciples, as you know, were Christ's appointed ministers at this time. These would be ministers in the church, elders in the church, teachers in the church. Well, verse 14 begins Jesus' own response to all of this. Jesus was greatly displeased. The word translated greatly displeased is elsewhere translated as indignant. It's a strong word, a visceral word, very angry. It is used to describe the intense anger of the chief priests when Jesus had cleansed the temple and the crowds were shouting Hosanna. It's used to describe the anger of a synagogue ruler when Jesus dared to heal a man on the Sabbath. It's used to describe the jealous anger of ten disciples when James and John asked for thrones on either side of Jesus. And it is used to describe the anger of some of the disciples when a sinful woman anointed Jesus with costly oil. 
However, outside of this one instance, this word is never used in all of the Gospels to describe Jesus. Jesus was angry. He was greatly displeased, or as the King James says, sore displeased. He was angry, not with the parents, mind you. He was angry with the disciples. Now, why was Jesus so angry with his disciples? No doubt they thought they were doing well. They meant well. Well, what are the problems? First of all, they had misjudged the character of Jesus. You see, they were assuming that Jesus would agree with their decision to rebuke the parents. But in so doing, what did they accomplish? They actually obscured the mercy of Jesus Christ. They misjudged his character and kept his true character hidden. From this, let us learn something. Let us learn not to assign to Jesus a character and attributes that we ourselves come up with. Let us not conform Christ to our image and think, because I feel or think this way, Jesus must feel or think this way. We see enough of that, don't we? Let us not assign to Jesus a character of our own invention, but rather let us recognize the character which God the Father gave to Jesus Christ. There's a second mistake they made. They had misjudged the standing of little children in the kingdom of God. We'll see this developed more in just a moment. But they had assumed that the children had no interest in what was going on there. That it wasn't necessary for Jesus to devote his time to them. And that it was inappropriate for them to be brought So the second half here in verse 14 contains a command, a prohibition, and then an explanation. The command is very simple. Jesus said to his disciples, let the little children come to me. The prohibition, do not hinder them. Literally, stop hindering them. Stop preventing them. And then he explains it here in verse 14. The reason that the disciples were to permit those children... And stop from hindering him is this. For of such is the kingdom of God. Let them come. Don't stop them. Because of such is the kingdom of God. You see, this is where the disciples had misjudged the standing of little children in the kingdom. Jesus is saying, they have an interest in me and a right to come because the kingdom of heaven is comprised of such. Please note, this is not a comparison or an illustration. Jesus is not here saying the kingdom of heaven has people like this in it, and if you have a childlike faith, you can be in the kingdom too. That is not what is being said here, beloved. He is saying, quite literally, the kingdom of heaven is made up of these. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus meant that the kingdom of God is made up of little 
children, even those who need to be carried to him by their parents. Now, there is a comparison here in verse 15, which serves as a further correction to the disciples. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. It's a reversal of what the disciples had been thinking. In most things, children need to become more like adults. The point of childhood is to grow into adulthood. So in almost everything else, children need to become more like adults. But when it comes to receiving the kingdom of God, all of us need to become more like children. How so? Well, consider the context. They received the kingdom of God and a blessing from Christ entirely without any effort, entirely apart from any merit, any knowledge, any work, any desert, anything at all. They were merely brought to him and they received it entirely as a gift from the goodness of Jesus Christ. We all need to receive the kingdom as a gift, understanding that there isn't anything we can do to earn it, nothing we can do to make ourselves more likable to God, nothing we can do to make God put us in his kingdom. We must receive it as a gift, and in that way, we receive it like children. So that is Christ's response to the disciples. Let us consider now his response to the parents. This is in verse 16. Before we proceed, I want you to see how Christ's response to the parents exceeds even what they asked for. Let that be a lesson to us. Jesus is not stingy. He is not stingy with his time. He is not stingy with his grace. He is not stingy with his forgiveness. He is not stingy with anything we could ask of him. He frequently gives us more than we even ask him. In fact, if we only had the things that we asked for, we would have very little indeed. So his response to the parents. First, he took the children in his arms. They said, Jesus, will you touch our children? And Jesus scooped them up in his arms. I don't know how many at a time he grabbed in his arms. If he did them one by one, I don't know how many kids there were. But you can picture it, can't you? The Savior grabbing these little ones in his arms. The prophet Isaiah, long before this day, spoke of the Lord's coming. And he said this, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and he shall carry them in his bosom. This prophecy was fulfilled on that day, wasn't it? Secondly, Jesus put his hands on them, and then thirdly, he blessed them. The way it reads in English, you might think that Jesus blessed them by touching them, but the word that Mark uses refers to a spoken blessing. It's the same word that Jesus is, that is used to describe when Jesus blessed the loaves and the fishes. 
It's the same word that is used when he blessed the bread and the wine at the Last Supper. What it means is, is that Jesus consecrated or set apart these little children unto God. John Kelvin, speaking of this passion, said this. This narrative is highly useful. For it shows that Christ receives not only those who, moved by holy desire and faith, freely approach him. But those who are not yet of age to know how much they need his grace. Kelvin continues. Those little children have not yet any understanding to desire his blessing. But when they are presented to him, he gently and kindly receives them and dedicates them to the Father by a solemn act of blessing. This is what we've been saying all along. Jesus receives and blesses the children of believers. Now you may say, can my faith really be used by God to bless someone else? This is a theme that runs throughout Mark's gospel. I want you to remember the man, the paralytic in Mark chapter 2 who was carried by his friends and Jesus healed him. And he says to them, when he saw their faith, plural, son, your sins are forgiven. The faith of his friends brought that paralytic to Christ, that his sins may be forgiven. I want you to remember the daughter of Jairus, who died and was raised. And do you remember what the Lord Jesus said to Jairus? Stop doubting and believe. Do you see, Jairus' faith was instrumental in the resurrection of his daughter. I want you to remember the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman, Mark chapter 7. This is the woman who is commended for her great faith when she said, even the dogs eat the scraps that fall at the master's table. And Jesus commended her for her faith. I want you to remember the boy with the unclean spirit in Mark chapter 9. This is the boy whose father said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Does it seem strange to you that you should look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for spiritual blessings for your children? That God can use your faith to bless your children? I want to read to you the vows that you hear quite often. This is the second vow that parents confess when they bring their children to receive baptism. Here is the question. Do you claim God's covenant promises in your child's behalf? And do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for your child's salvation as you do for your own? Jesus Christ is pleased to receive and bless the children of believers. Now we might say, well, okay, what about those children who were presented to Jesus as little ones, but they have grown to reject him 
What about those ones, pastor? Where's the blessing there? If you have your Bibles, please turn with me here in Mark chapter 10 to verse 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. We find such a case. Now, as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus looking at him, catch this, then Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The rich young ruler was a son of the kingdom. He had grown up in the church. He had been presented to the Lord as a little one. If you were to go to the rich young ruler's house, I bet you you would find half a dozen VBS t-shirts in his closet. He did all of these things since his youth. He went to Sunday school. He sang in the choir. He did all of these things. But one thing he lacked when Jesus called him to forsake everything else and follow him, he could not do it. What happened? At some point, at some point, this young man was drawn away and enticed by something other than Jesus Christ. Jesus explained this in Mark chapter 4 with the parable of the soils. He says, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This poor young man had been overcome by the deceitfulness of riches. It choked out the word and he became unfruitful. Jesus did not reject him, beloved. He Rejected Jesus. Our book of church order speaks to this. It says this, By virtue of being children of believing parents, these children are, because of God's covenant ordinance, made members of the church. Meaning because of God's covenant promises and commands, they are made members of the church. But this membership in the church is not sufficient to make them continue members of the church. When they have reached the age of discretion, they become subject to obligations of the covenant. Come, follow me, said Jesus. Faith, repentance, and obedience. They then make a public confession of their faith in Christ or they become covenant breakers and subject to the discipline 
of the church. If our children grow to reject Christ, then they forfeit their citizenship in the kingdom. But it doesn't have to be that way. Our task is to help our children to grow up to personally submit themselves to the Lord, telling them, child, since you were little, I carried you to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a subject of his kingdom. Go now and serve him with all that you have. Dear friends, your children will face the same kinds of temptations that you face. The same things. For the rich young ruler, it was his riches. But it could just as well be a career, or a set of friends, or sex, or drugs, or alcohol, or a million other things. These are all the same temptations that come in and choke out the word. But let me ask you, how are you helping? How are we helping these little ones now? What are we training them to do? Are we training them to be servants in the kingdom of God? Or are we training them to be servants of hobbies and education and careers and all these other worldly concerns? Those things are all fine and good of themselves, but they are not the end of a subject of the kingdom of God. The end of the subject of the kingdom of God is to serve the king of that kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ, with all their might. And so our task is to ensure that our children do not grow up to be the rich young ruler. How then do we bring our children to Christ? In Mark chapter 10, it was simple. They found Jesus in a house and brought their kids to him. He was on the other side of the Jordan. He was there. Well, maybe we should head to the other side of the Jordan? No. We need to bring our children to where Christ is. But before you can do that, dear friends, you yourselves, must be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? That it was the demonstration of the parents' faith that they brought their children to Jesus. They first came to hear Jesus. You must first be a follower of Jesus Christ and trust in his promises. There is no promise for the children of unbelievers. The promise is to the children of believers. So then you, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, bring your children to him. Where are some places that Jesus is today? Well, you can bring them to receive the sacrament of baptism. Do you know that when Jesus commanded his ministers to disciple the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that he commanded them, he said this, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying that as his ministers baptize and teach, Jesus himself is there with them. 
Therefore, you bring your children to receive baptism because Jesus is working in that sacrament. He is working in the teaching of the Word of God. He is present. Remember that Peter was among the disciples who would have been present on this day, who perhaps rebuked these parents. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter got the chance to get it right, didn't he? He preached a sermon in Acts chapter 2, and they cried out, Men, what must we do? And Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. For the promise is to you and to your children and to as many who are far off as the Lord our God shall call. Peter learned the lesson from Christ this day, didn't he? So you bring your children to receive baptism. Secondly, bring them to public worship. Bring them to public worship. Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am in their midst. Where is Jesus? He is with his people when they gather to worship him. Psalm 22, 3 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. That means that when God's people are praising him, God is present. Bring your children to the place where Jesus is, where he is being praised. God is there. That is how you bring your children. Bring your children to the throne of grace. Where is Jesus today? Well, we know as we confess in the Apostles' Creed that he has been exalted and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from where he rules and reigns and indeed intercedes on our behalf. But do you know that you have ready access to him by God the Holy Spirit through your prayers? You can bring your children to Jesus by your prayers. The Apostle John says this in 1 John 5. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, he will give us what we ask for. You can bring your children to Jesus by your prayers. Perhaps someone will say, Pastor, I do not know the will of God. What if my child is not of the elect? What then, Pastor? Ishmael and Jacob and Esau and all of that. Let me share a helpful passage with you. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children, that we may do all the words of his law. God has revealed to you what his will is for you. In this passage, he reveals that Jesus receives and blesses the children of believers. You must believe that. You let God worry about the secret things. You do what God has revealed and commanded you to do. You must believe that Jesus receives and blesses the children of believers. And you must act accordingly. 
Bring them to Jesus promptly, sincerely, unreservedly, and repeatedly, trusting that he will receive them and bless them. Let us pray. Almighty God, that we all might become like children and receive freely your gifts. Thank you, Father, for our covenant children, for those to whom the promise is extended. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you receive and bless them. We ask, O oh God, that you would keep them by your mighty strength, that none of them would be lost. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.